Hello, listeners. Welcome to a very special episode, for me at least, of I Am The Night, the weekly breakdown of the legendary Batman the Animated Series. This week we're looking at episode 26 of season 1, Appointment in Crime Alley. Um, Adam, you know this all means a lot to me. What did you make of it? Uh, it's certainly a very personal and very heartfelt episode. We have a lot of time to think about things and really get a sense of Batman's origins and exactly who he is, the story of what happened to him all those years ago without ever really seeing the gruesome face of Mr. and Mrs. Wayne. We just get to see the uh, emotional impact of the place and the man that made of that event. It's a very stripped back but still very fast paced episode that measured the tone very well I think is quite special indeed I really felt this episode because um, writer Jerry Conway well he's a comics legend there's no other way of describing the man who wrote this episode and the way he just as you beautifully said managed to tell us Batman's origin without having to see the far too often seen death of Thomas and Martha Wayne in the alley with the blood and the shots fired and the screams and the pearl necklace falling to the ground. But he's done it in such a way that you know what happened and you still feel the impact of it, but without seeing the actual crime itself. And that, to me, I mean, I'd forgotten um, this episode. I mean, I remember loving it first time around because of the whole Leslie Tompkins, because of the influence it has on one of the stories it's based on, but the cleverness of it the writing in this episode and the beautiful way it's directed um, by Boyd Kirkland is oh I'm really emotional right now yeah I can tell and it's uh, the emotion the episode that one could get most emotional with we see Batman struggling in a race against time but also struggling with the his own personal history of the place and the night and everything that that night meant for him it's something that would never really leave a person at least of all Batman this is the reason why he is what he is and why he does what he does mm-hmm. so seeing this from the emotional standpoint without any of the trauma or the violence that this night brought him we see the consequences and everything this built up towards so this was the perfect way to sort of tell the story without actually fixating on the event absolutely well said um, and if listeners are wondering why this episode means so much to me, picture the late seventies and a seven or eight year old little boy who spent a lot of time by himself in his bedroom reading because I wasn't the most sporty kid or the most uh, social. And a kid who grew up watching Adam West's Batman and the Biff Bop Kapows that that entailed and reading old black and white British comics which collected sometimes a Batman story sometimes a Spidey story and then all of a sudden having family from Canada bringing over a whole pile of uh, the smaller American comics which were gasp shock horror in colour not black and white and one of those was Detective Comics issue 457 which just like this episode does introduced Leslie Tompkins. Now, this was an era um, shortly after the rebirth and recreation reset of Batman in his 30th anniversary in 1969, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. 
and it was to me it changed everything it's made it's what made me a comics fan for the rest of my life because i went from knowing adam west's batman the campy colorful batman to learning why he dressed as a bat why he fought crime at night and the reason he became batman in the first place so this episode just brought that screaming back to me this week the realization for a young reader to finally catch as to why Batman is the way he is and the way he does in this evocative and intense emotional strain of a story in comic form and in this episode is a very important way to sort of learn why Batman is the way he is it's all well and good to sort of follow along with the adventures but you need to know what would process an otherwise ordinary man no no superpowers no divine birthright no Mm. grand destiny someone doing what he does because he feels like he has to so we have to feel the emotional weight of something horrible happening to him so that we can get a read on the reason why he would do this as for myself watching this episode I never had any of the bright and cheerful sort of side to Batman I was raised properly shall I say no disrespect to Adam West, he did wonderful things as a character and as a uh, as an actor and a performer, he did wonderful things just across his long career, Batman and not, and I hope he's resting well on the other side. The That tone, that story that he told isn't the truest essence of Batman, because even then, Batman back in the 30s and 40s was very noir. So... The... Origin that we get of Batman, someone who has seen something traumatic and horrifying happen in front of him, into the grizzled Avenger that we all know him of, that's fine. We get that origin story and we, like us modern readers, know that. We've seen that in multiple retellings and resettings of the uh, continuity and we've seen it portrayed by multiple different actors. For this version, this retelling is still the best because we never see it. We never mm. see the dingy alleyway. We never see, we never hear no screams. We never hear uh, anything go wrong. We never see the blood or the pearls. We know what's happened. And we've seen a man reacting to it, which is always going to be much more personal and much more powerful. Yes. Which is a, definitely the right way to have told this story. I could not agree more. You, you put that really, really well. And again, that's down to, to Jerry Conway's writing. Um, the man's a seasoned pro, scriptwriter, TV writer, uh, as well as comic books. But his his influence on the comic books, Batman and many others, is outstanding. I mean, let, let's think, and you might not know this, but uh, my friend Stephen Conroy, um, who does a podcast called The Retro Project, which is also part of the Fantastic Universe's um, line, obviously, which we run had a three-part interview with Jerry and they talked in depth mainly about because he's just as well known for his Marvel work as he is for for DC but let's talk about him as as a comics writer not just Batman he is the man who A created the Punisher wow he started a long and illustrious career he had the unenviable task of taking over Amazing Spider-Man as writer from Stan Lee oh Right, and not only did he do it, he turned the comics world on its head by doing one of the most shocking, amazing, brilliant things. He's the man who killed Gwen Stacy. But now, let's bring him straight back to the Batman universe, because that's what we're here to talk about. 
This guy wrote Batman and Detective for over two years. Batman issues 337 to 359, Detective Comics 497 to 526. In that time, he also introduced a little villain called Killer Croc. Mm. And someone I don't know if you've ever heard of, a chap called Jason Todd. Oh, he sounds familiar. Yeah, um, that is the power of Jerry Conway. Because obviously, you can tell, this is a writer who knows how to get characters, weave them together, and tell a cohesive, emotional, powerful story. So to have him, I, I totally forgot he even wrote episodes of this series. And how did I react when I saw his name? You were very excited. And you were very humbled. You went a bit quiet, which is a strange thing for you. You were just excited to see what was happening, but quietly excited as though you were just like preparing yourself and eager to just get playing. Yeah, it, it was an oh wow moment. So again, tied in with the direction of Boyd Kirkland, this is now actually probably. My favourite episode so far that we've seen. And yes. I've loved all of them. But this one... It's the most important episode. It's a very important yeah, episode. It, it's, it's, it resonates with me. It's, yeah. it's a personal yeah. episode for me. Um, let's talk about... Obviously, this is something that we've brought up countless times where we've seen different aspects of Batman. Mm-hmm. In this episode, we see the archetypal, vintage, almost generic, but in the best way possible Batman. He is everything. A detective, a protector of the innocent, a terrifying figure of the night. I mean, I might be wrong, but isn't this the first time where he is operating at night, but he breaks into a building and makes sure the lights aren't on. He throws the batarang to kill the lights before he enters the building and then shatters through the window to save the the, the little girl's mother. And... I don't remember seeing that before. That just screams to me like Frank Miller of Year One, that literal figure of the night. Even though in the very same episode, we also see him having a very friendly rapport with members of the SWAT team during that hostage yes. incident. And heavily armoured guys with automatic weapons defer command to Batman yeah. without any presence of Jim Gordon. So this is a... Point somewhere further along where Batman's earned a tiny bit of respect with the law enforcement. But to compare that moment, to compare the daring heroics of him stopping that tram car to the figure of the night, little hoods, little hoods there trying to scare a lady out of her home, it's Batman at all of his aspects, which is exactly what you'd get from a story like this. We see that he's not just one type of hero but he is the type of hero that the situation calls for and was created by that terrifying moment that happened in this place so long ago. Absolutely. He is the hero he needs to be for that specific chain of events for that moment. And again, it takes a writer of Jerry Conway's calibre to produce something like that. But again, this isn't all emotions and uh, me being uh, looking through the world through rose-tinted glasses and nostalgic visions of my childhood. There are some classic laugh-out-loud moments in this episode as well. We've always mentioned the facts that Gotham landmarks, streets, buildings are named after the comic creators. And this episode's no different. We get a comment where something is situated on the corner of Finger and Broom. Now, everyone knows who Bill Finger is. Yes. And he's finally, after decades, been acknowledged as Batman's co-creator. Because obviously, without Bill Finger, 
Batman would be a red-suited, domino-masked, blonde-haired figure of the not knight. He would have been more or less Robin with bat wings. And then, of course, he created Joker, Catwoman, and a lot of the greatness that makes Batman Batman. But a lot of people may not know about John Broom. Now, John Broom was a Golden Age writer. He started out on the Alan Scott Green Lantern and the Justice oh. Society. But he then went on to um, create a chap called Hal Jordan. Sounds familiar. Oh, yes, he would. And as well as uh, the other world-famous detective, detective, detective comics, um, Bobo the Detective Chimp. Oh, wow. Um, but more importantly for Batman fans, as I said at the beginning of the show... Batman started out, as I said, from 39 onwards as a very dark character. But censorship in the 50s, the whole witch hunt, witch hunt um, of, of saying that Batman was dangerous, these comic book characters were dangerous, and the so-called homophobic relation between him and Dick Grayson changed comics into beautiful, brightly coloured sci-fi waves of almost nonsense, but greatly entertaining. And that also then led to Adam West's portrayal. But then in 1969, for Batman's 30th anniversary, DC decided, no, we're going to strip this right back. We're going to get rid of your Batmites and your alien invasions and make Batman a figure of the night again. But we want to show that this is an era-changing thing. But also, they were smart. They knew that Batman was fast becoming their most popular character. How could they also market Batman? And the answer was simple. They took the traditional black and grey costume and put a yellow oval <laughs> around the bat. John Broom was one of the men behind that decision. And that era of Batman, the whole Batman and Robin era, Teen Titans, Justice League of America, even to Michael Keaton's Batman movie in 1989, 20 years later for the 50th anniversary, and the whole fact of, well, I don't want to put a target on a child, something that people were condemning for, and that's why Batman had to be dumbed down and made fantastical. If I've got a target on my own chest that takes away from targeting Robin and it's genius things like that so thank you John Broom for that but did you spot the other little nod to a different DC character in this episode was it it's a fairly unlikely thing for Bruce Tim to be one of Lee Tompkins' neighbours wasn't it <laughs> and Eric Radonski oh, was that a nice place there <laughs> but uh, that was a tip to guys who actually make this show which I thought was lovely I think and this is probably down to the art department it may not be down to the writing team I of this particular the, the artists I agree but, with you but the dialogue of the corner of uh, Finger and Broom yeah uh, not uh, a story like this we're crediting the origin of Batman as a character mm -hmm. so you would expect the corner of Cane and Finger to be thrown, thrown up but not we've got the, or, uh, the corner of Finger and Broom I'm thinking this is um, the creditation of Batman's creator then and Batman's redefining creator as you've gone forward to explain exactly that and for this to be like them at a corner where these two writers from two different times have met exactly I'm that. reading far too much into this because no, I'm not a literature not. student I, I am completely agree with you you're but not this is but this is where the classic origin and an origin to now sort of intersected let's think that obviously for comics fans who've been championing having Bill Finger as Crow creator for decades that hasn't happened at this point and every episode of Batman the animated series credits Bob Kane as creator of Batman 
and I honestly think that everyone that made this episode hmm. from Jerry Conway to Boyd Kirkland to Alan Burnett to Bruce Tim um, decided let's credit the other two and you're quite right that's why that street corner is the corner of finger and broom for the other two scarcely credited people who did something to elevate that creation uh, brilliant that's actually well spotted I agree with you 100% then we can also look at the other great reveal the first time appearance in the animated series at least in this episode of Dr. Lee Tompkins very very key character for some of the for the for the development of our dear Bat yeah. he was there she was there from the very beginning when he was at his most vulnerable alongside Alfred and dread to think what would happen to the character if she wasn't well again she's one of those pivotal people in Batman's life and it's really funny because I don't look ahead at what's coming in the next episode when we watch the Blu-rays of these I literally just put it in and see what's coming next so that's why this episode again really did hit home but it's also a little bit of that amazing thing that I love to bore you with called synchronicity because I've just finished reading the epic um, Batman story War Games where Bruce and Batman and Bruce and Batman Bruce and Leslie have a horrific falling out and I'm not going to spoil it for those who haven't read it but this is where temporarily at least Batman and uh, Leslie Tompkins go different ways because she does something indescribable and Batman can't seem to forgive her for it but in later issues later years that's all resolved so reading this story and then seeing this episode again it's just like one of these things like what's the universe trying to tell me here it's absolutely brilliant and um, as you say Leslie Tompkins archetypal character played by this show dude this show has a very good habit of pulling out some unexpected pedigree of don't they acting talent Diana Muldaur you would probably know her for one major role but before we talk about that one we have to talk about her long and historied appearances in shows as archetypal and legendary as Bonanza, Gunsmoke, the original Hawaii Five-O starring Jack Lord, but then um, L.A. Law. But we would know her for playing another excellent Doctor. She was Dr. Catherine Pulaski in Season 2 of Star Trek The Next Generation. Very nice. That's a lot of fun. So having her as a brilliant Leslie Tompkins, just the right level of little old lady you can see as your grandma and you want to hug but she's friends with Batman considering where she lives in Gotham and what yeah. she gets up to on a day to day basis she needs to be a little bit world wise and a little bit tough but still someone you can trust and someone you believe is an actual character of sworn Hippocratic Oath so yeah ideal casting and I'm certain we'll see this character again oh we have to we have to, we have to, we have to. And again, before this show, she was a little bit forgotten in the comic books. But in recent years, actually recent last couple of decades, she's had a resurgence, a, a huge role in Peter J. Tomasi's uh, recent run of Detective Comics where he took over for issues leading up to 1,000 and the issues leading from 1,000. And having her back in the comics always makes me happy. Because again, to me... She's one of those characters I now completely associate with being with Bruce Wayne from the beginning and then her 
on and off romantic relationship with Alfred and everything else and the way she was recreated to have a relationship with Jim Gordon who took her role away in the movies he's the one who comforted Bruce after his parents was killed they didn't introduce her in the films she's only been part of the Gotham TV show I suppose for films it's they want to try and streamline streamline them to make them have as few sporting characters as possible but I feel like some figure like that is essential so that the traumatised little child doesn't just go completely crazy but I think there's something more natural about it being like a female figure a doctor a nurturer a Mm. protector someone who puts that drive to protect back into him so as a character she's very important and I'm glad they've done her so well in this slice of media and we needed her because like you say even though people say why couldn't Alfred have done it was obviously Bruce was out with his parents that night Mm -hmm. Alfred was at home so if she hadn't have been there. Hmm. And in the comics, remember, Jim Gordon wasn't even in Gotham at that period. So, a brilliant creation by writer Denny O'Neill, one of the greatest of all time, to me, still the greatest Batman editor of all time. Lee Tompkins, Leslie Tompkins, is one of the characters I love. And not just because she was played by Marina, Yum Yum Bakarin in Gotham, but because she's just a fantastic, fantastic character. Someone very important, someone sad to omit, but again, this show has been able to show Batman so well across time, and we get the supporting cast done so well that we get them as they're always been described, but still seeing them in the new light that we would otherwise get from a new piece of media. Perfectly done. Yeah. Really welcome. What we say to readers and listeners at Dark Knight's News, DC Comic News, and, and of this show is that unless you're loaded, you're never going to get all 80 years' worth of Batman comics. But if you want a full, well-rounded, brilliantly written, brilliantly acted encapsulation of everything that makes Batman Batman, just go out and buy this box set because this is everything Batman is, was, and should be, in my personal opinion. It's been able to also retell some important Mm. classic stories frame things that you know about this character in a completely new oh, way yeah. and still tell new stories that you wouldn't expect to read in a regular no. issue but are still sincerely true and tried and true Batman. It's a wonderful slice of media that still holds up after so long and is a, so, after the comics themselves are the best retelling of Batman out there. Here, here. Absolutely. Right. As always... What was your main takeaway or something that made you react heavily, either positively or negatively? What was your moment from this episode? I actually reacted to a reaction you had because you like to emote when we watch things. Yeah, I'm really bad at that. It's, it's fine. Um, there was the moment where Batman was going to drive to go get Lee Tompkins from her when she was tied up and under mm. duress next to those bombs. But then the runaway tram comes along and in a daring fit of heroics, he goes and swerves and stops the tram and it blows out the tyres and the Batman and a wonderful piece of realism, despite how strong those tyres have to be. The moment when he's there at the driver's seat and says, uh, oh, was it, are you kidding me? Or some sort yeah. of exclamation, just of frustration. It's not something we really see of Batman, but it's something that we, the viewer, can put into him because we're yes. aware of the race against time because he's not quite aware of that just mm-hmm. yet. But... We're also aware that he's frustrated for the 
two personal strains that he's on because yeah. of where he is, what day it is, and who's in duress. Yeah. So this is the closest we ever see Batman coming to a breaking point. Mm-hmm. And that's not something you'd ever really expect. But unlike others, we see him use this as a fuel to drive faster, be more daring, do what he has to. He takes this as a form of motivation, which is the true origin and the true ethos of what makes a powerful, good hero. Absolutely. For me, it's just like you said, but I have to add as well that it shows how much better he is than us. Because yes... He wants to pay respects to his parents, but now he also has to save Leslie, who saved him. But now he's got this runaway tram, cable uh, trolley car, out of control, and he stops. He doesn't carry on with what he's doing. He says, "Well, no, these guys need my help too," and that's what Batman does. And that, because how often in life have we had something we need to do or want to do? and ignored everything else that was happening around us because of that one thing. He doesn't do that. He does everything he possibly can. And that is another reason why, to me, Batman is the greatest hero of all. Absolutely. What what an episode. What an episode. What an episode. Honestly. For me, I have to, again, lighten tone a little bit because I don't know if you noticed that the truck where Nitro and his crony had all the explosives and bits left over from their bomb making. Did you see what was written on that lorry? No, I did not. I love the animators or the writers or whoever decided to do this. On the side of that lorry was written, Jay Olsen and Son Photography. No, that's brilliant. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. It was there and I thought, really? Wow. And there you have it. Another little nod to someone in a completely different city, but again, a fantastic and important part yeah. of DC Comics lore and history. We've had little touches to the uh, to the blue cheese of Metropolis yeah. so far, haven't we? Yes. So it's nice to hear that that's been like fully ground in, and it shows that the, the writers are aware of how wide a universe Batman is. Yeah. But he's still the focus, and the stories are still fairly grassroots compared to the cosmic sci-fi battles that you'd get from Superman but nice to show that it's still a part of a big wide universe there you go absolutely well that's been another episode again I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in please do continue to subscribe to the show please do continue to send me these lovely messages I'm getting on Twitter and on Facebook and on my email Um, any comments any suggestions will be listened to and thank you so much for it all. You can catch this show as well as the original DC Comics News podcast, the Spinner Rack, where we do a weekly breakdown of the comics we think you should be picking up. Of course, this little show, I Am The Night, and our new crazy show, Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast, all appear on the DC Comics News Network, which you can find on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. The websites, DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, can be found online at Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube. But, Adam, um, where can our listeners and readers of the sites we write for find you and your work? You can find most of my Bat-flavoured work and DC Comics-flavoured work on Dark Knight News and DC Comics News, where I, in an ideal world, review many titles over the weeks. But things are quiet, but that means I can focus on catching up with the greatest piece of Batman media to all of our minds. 
Yep. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at is it tinkerer i z z e t tinkerer, and you can find me on twitch.tv forward slash no ordinary heroes streaming my one true love tabletop role playing games and most of my writing is about that on our dear love fantasticuniverses.com and you sir again comment with me and chat with me online wherever is easiest for you um, Twitter at el underscore s t e e v o. If you want to read my writing, the easiest way to do so is to either do a search for Fantastic Universes or for Steve J Ray. I look forward to hearing from each and every one of you. But until I do, he's been Adam Ray. He's the Knight. Together we are the Knight, and this has been the I Am the Knight podcast. Adam, what do our listeners and readers really need to do? Read more comics and watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye now.